Welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, where you will hear conversations with artists and creative entrepreneurs from around the globe. From art and creativity to education and business, this podcast features discussions with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, and I can't wait to get started. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I cannot wait for today's episode. I'm so thrilled because today we are chatting with Sasha Lorraine. Sasha Lorraine is a Maryland-based artist and the founder of Black Girls Who Paint. And Sasha Lorraine is also curating issue five of our magazine, which is actually our first ever women's issue. So overall, I cannot be more excited to learn more about Sasha Lorraine's journey today and chat with her. Welcome, Sasha Lorraine. Hello, hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh my goodness. You are so welcome. Thank you for joining me today. And we have had the amazing ability to connect through, you know, social media and basically through the internet. But over the past couple of months, we've gotten to know each other a little bit better, which has been such a joy. And I'm so excited that we are now collaborating for issue five. And uh, I just can't wait to learn more about you. So I wanted to start by asking you, you know, you are an artist first. And tell us a little bit about your journey as an artist. And, you know, just like, how has that been for you? Were you always creative? And tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so I like to say that um, art was always my first form of communication. Like, I've always drawn things, sketched things, and just kind of created things with my hands. Um, And I've always felt most myself in communicating with other people through the work that I create, as opposed to like the words or my speech. And so as a kid, I was literally, I always had some kind of drawing utensil. And I've just really enjoyed creating in my own way. So I've, I started with drawing and then probably around like high school, that's when I had my first paint class or like my first official class outside of like our regular art classes. Um, and that was the first teacher who took interest in my art skills and my talents and really pushed me because um, growing up, I was always inclined to the arts. Um, But I never really had to kind of like work at it hard. It was mostly something that I just practiced at and got better at gradually. But um, it was my ninth grade teacher, Mrs. Henderson, who literally like pushed me (laughs) and how to like get techniques going um, more than just like the average, you know, line sketching and things like that. And as I've gotten older, um, although my journey has led to many circles and triangles away from the arts. It's always centered back into the arts and figuring out how my passion can meet my purpose. And so, yeah, I've always been an artist. I've always been creative, but I think more into my adulthood, I've actually leaned more into it outside of a hobby, but more so as, you know, an actual practice, something that I'm working on continuously and then also sharing um, vocally. So. That's a little bit of my story. I love <laughs> the, the short version. <laughs> yes, I think that's awesome. And uh, a question that I always like to ask the artists who come onto the podcast is, how has your work, like the actual work itself, shifted and evolved over time? So I will say when I was about maybe young adulthood, 
and I am still a young adult, <laughs> but um, maybe around like my low 20s, I definitely, I, I had talent in creating art, but I didn't know what kind of story that I wanted to tell. Um, the stories that I would tell would be more or less for consumption, what I thought other people wanted to see, what other people would appreciate, as opposed to telling my own stories. And in fact, it wasn't until I was 21, no, 27, still actively, you know, um, trying to permeate the art scene in D.C., a gallery director was like, I know you can paint. I know you can do portraits, but like, what story are you trying to tell? Like, that's what I can't see in your work is what story are you trying to tell? And for me at 27, I was like, no, at um, it clicked at 27. He told me this at 24 because I was still in grad school. At 24, I couldn't really conceptualize what he was saying. To me, I was like, I can paint really well. <laughs> I can refer, I can reproduce a photo or a reference photo to very high details. Um, but it wasn't until 27 when I realized that he meant like, what story do I want to tell in my actual art? And that's what shifted, was kind of like the main shift for me in telling my story as opposed to the stories of other people or the stories that I thought wanted to be heard. So. I think that's been my my biggest shift. And that happened around uh, around 2018, 2019. And since then, I just feel like I've unlocked a certain part of myself, even as a woman, um, let alone an artist that, you know, most of my artwork or if not all of my artwork now deals with healing in some capacity in my story solely as opposed to the story of, of other people. I think that's so beautiful and so powerful when we create work that tells our own stories, but also like we create these narratives that are in a way universal because so many people can relate to them. And I know that your work, especially your recent work, is very much centered around the female figure and 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 also centered around healing. Can you tell us a little bit why about why you have chosen to focus on the female figure in particular? Um, so my most recent collection is called Mind You Well, and it deals with my own inner child healing journey, um, which started around 2018, 2019. And every year I dedicate to a lesson learned or something that I want to focus on. And it's re represented in my artwork. And so for year 31, I just recently turned 32. I wanted to focus on body autonomy and body appreciation um, because I did not grow up with the most self-confidence <laughs> or self-esteem. And when I look at myself in the mirror, which I don't often, um, I wanted to change how I saw myself. And, and so that's why um, I centered on the female form, but more specifically my actual form. Um, and I, I thought that, ironically, I thought that if I can create or use my body as a reference and make it art or make it consumable, then maybe I can view my body as art. And that was initially the goal. And then as I was painting it, um, the paintings, I realized that like that was that's where I was. But like I realized that I gained so much more in just seeing the utility of bodies, just seeing the utility of 
things working correctly, working incorrectly, but um, all together, it still enables me to create. And so as opposed to seeing my body as artwork, I can see myself as art, as something that's super, super complex and some things that I might want to change, some things that I love, some things that I might want to, you know, focus on, um, seeing how all of those work together to make me, me, to make me the artist that actually creates something. So that's kind of was the focus. And that's why I named it Mind You Well, because it was more so of a mental thing as opposed to just solely using the body as the, the reference, but I want to mind myself well. And so it's kind of like a love letter to myself. I love that. And I can, I can imagine that that must be really healing. And, you know, it's powerful because like you're saying, it's, I think we see our bodies every day, obviously. Um, but when we start to look at our bodies and ourselves as art, and we kind of center our work around our figure and see it in this new light, I think that we can really appreciate it on a different level, especially because we live in a society where we have so much pressure regarding our bodies and what they should look like. Um, and I love that you also like just thinking about your work now and kind of picturing it in my mind, the poses of the the figure are really just gorgeous and powerful. And can you tell us a little bit about why you chose why you choose to paint the female figure in those particular poses um so when i first set to increase my my own self um body image i picked 11 words that i felt resonated with who i am and i wanted to deal with duality with all of those words um one of them is the first painting is actually based on my actual tattoo, which is resilient on my collarbone. And when I was thinking about, even when I got the tattoo at 25, I was thinking about the word resilient and how it's a positive word, but sometimes it can have negative roots. Um, For me, particularly, um, I was coming out of a bad relationship, but also a bad relationship with myself, not just an external partner. And so me overcoming something was why I felt that um, resilience um, resonated with me. But I wanted to speak to the good and the bad, the yin and the yang of all of the words. And that's what I kind of used to direct the poses because I wanted the poses to really embody the words that I feel. Because I've actually never used myself as a muse when um whenever I have used other women's bodies, because a lot of my work, even in the past, I have used other female forms, but I never ever envisioned to use myself. And so when I did that, I wanted it was kind of like my first time modeling for myself. And so I wanted to kind of tell the story through my own body in a way that pushed me outside of my comfort zone. It's beautiful, like really, really beautiful. And for anyone listening, if you have not seen Sasha Lorraine's new paintings, definitely check them out. And I will include all of your information in the show notes because they're so striking and they feel really strong, but also very soft and feminine at the same time. So it's really beautiful work you're doing. And I wanted to ask you as well, because I know that you have 
done so much over the past few years with your company, Black Girls Who Paint. But I know that right now you are really focusing on your own art career. And like, as you said, just shifting your work and making more work and really thinking about the direction you want to take as an artist. I'll ask you a little bit more about Black Girls Who Paint in a moment, because I definitely want to um, learn more about that organization and how that came to be. But how did you arrive at the place you're at now in your art practice? Like what has the journey been for you over the past few years? So before Black Girls Who Paint, I kind of was on social media just posting my artwork to get likes, (laughs) to get followers, to get sales and whatnot. And although those things did, I guess, occur, I realized that something was missing in my actual artist practice. And this was even after one of the reasons why I created Black Girls Who Paint was a part of my inner child healing journey. And I didn't even know. I just didn't have the, the vocabulary to to figure, to know what I was doing at the time. But I realized that I would go into my studio and I would see tons of artwork that did not actually resonate with me, like who I am. But then there would be some pieces where I'm like, oh, these are my favorite, but these were normally the ones that got the less, you know, engagement or whatnot. But I'm like, what is it about these paintings that I love so much? And when I realized that there was a disconnect from majority of the work and even like a disconnect from my own studio, I took a step back and I reflected. Um, during that time, that's when the pandemic hit as well. So it kind of like um, coincided, but I really had to take a step back and was like, why do I not resonate with a good bulk of the artwork that I've created over the years? And when I realized that it was because I wasn't being honest or transparent or vulnerable in my own artwork and my own art practice, I realized like I needed to kind of do more, more me work as opposed to like more artist work to really figure out what am I actually trying to tell? What am I, what stories am I trying to tell? What am I doing with my artwork? Because I have this gift. I have these platforms that I've created, but I have a room full of artwork where they could all go away and I wouldn't care. And that's not how I want to feel about my artwork. And so after that, when I realized like, hey, I like abstract work. I like surrealism. Like I like more than just painting celebrities or painting family and friends. I want to really explore in terms of the art, not even just like the the techniques or the subject matter, but also the mediums. Like I love, why do I only stick to acrylic? What about oil? What about oil pastel? What about mixed media? So I became more explorative in the types of stories that I tell that are mine, that I've always wanted to tell, but I've, I've always felt like um, it, it wasn't enough. Um, but definitely with the stories that I tell and then the materials and the mediums that I use to tell those stories and not limiting myself to just being kind of like a 2D artist or like an artist that only does one type of work. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really love what you said about you know, exploring to get to a deeper place because I truly believe, and I've spoken a little bit about this on the podcast before, but just to kind of tail off of what you were saying, 
I truly believe that in order for us as artists, as creatives to get to that really deep, authentic place in our creative work, we have to give ourselves permission to explore and experiment and to really pay attention to what we like and what inspires us and what feels good to us. And I think there's like a level of fear that comes for sure with, uh, you know, really opening ourselves up to exploring and experimenting. And especially if we have created the same kind of work for a while. And you were talking a little bit about how you were creating, you know, doing portraiture and painting families. And did you feel like when your work started to shift and you started to go to that deeper place and more experimental place, did you feel some of those fears come up? And if so, how did you work through them? When I actually started creating work that told my story, I felt really good. What I felt bad was when I was doing commissions. Um, and that's when I realized that because um, a lot of my practice was based solely on commission as opposed to commission and my, you know, what I wanted to tell as well. So I kind of had an extreme of painting other people's stories. And so when I started painting my own stories, it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I was afraid to even share it. It was, I was excited. That's what made me feel good. And that's when I realized that I can't center my art on commission work. I'm not that kind of artist. And some people can, I know I can't because a lot of my art work, my art practice is therapeutic for me as a person, not just as an artist. And so when I kind of took a step back from being a full-time artist and then getting a job, a part-time job, and then, you know, another full-time job, it actually, I had to do more work with myself and saying, hey, you're not a failure because you're no longer a full-time artist in the ways that you sought out to be in the beginning, if that makes sense. So in kind of reorganizing how how I wanted to create art and, and taking the financial aspect away from my art practice, I've realized that like I've been able to tell stories. I've been able to like fall in love with my art again. And that's what felt good. It wasn't the fact that, you know, people would judge me. Like as much as I have my own insecurities like everyone else, with my artwork, with my technique, I feel like I am my highest sense of my highest form of confidence or self-confidence within my art. So even if it's not received in the same way as painting other people's stories, I still feel good about it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to center my artist practice on is what is what I'm creating. Does it feel good to me? And if it feels good to me and I can verbalize that and I can tell that story on canvas, but also verbally, then that is good enough whether it has a sale or not. <laughs> and some people might be like, no, <laughs> that's horrible for marketing. But like, for me, that's what works for me. Yeah, no, I absolutely. And I mean, you made so many great points because I think that we have to put the work we create first. Like it comes before sales. It comes before showing the work. It comes before sharing it even. Like, we have to create work. And I think in order for us to feel really creatively fulfilled, 
we do have to create work that feels super aligned to who we are. And if we step away from that, like how you were sharing, your work started to become more kind of centered on commissions. And that was like becoming the forefront of your creative practice. And for some artists, that's totally fine. Like the the thing about the creative process is, is that it is so uniquely different for everyone. You know, I know artists who, who do commissions most of the year and they love it and that's wonderful. But, you know, like you, Sasha Lorraine, I also cannot <laughs> do commissions very often uh, because I feel that it can sort of get in the way of, you know, the work that I really want to make. And I think the fact that you were able to step outside of your practice for a moment and really get deep with like asking yourself, what kind of work do I want to make? What kind of story do I want to tell that's going to be meaningful to me and to others is how you've, you know, it sounds like that is how you've arrived at the place you're in right now in your practice. So thank you for sharing that with us. And yeah, it's, it takes time to get there, right? It's not an overnight process. <laughs> and that was another thing because what I also realized with being like a, the founder of something, whether it's a movement or an organization or a business, is that I was encouraging and trying to motivate a lot of my members and like the followers and the audience of Black Girls Who Pay to, you know, tell your story you know, show up, be present for yourself. But I actively wasn't doing that. And that's when I wanted, that's when I took a step because I created Black Girls Who Pay in 2017. And this aha moment didn't really occur until, until 2019. And so I had two years of encouraging, galvanizing, cultivating this, this, this great thing. And I wasn't actually doing it as an artist. I became the founder. I became the curator or this person that kind of forgot about my artist practice. And then it was like, how could I keep wanting to encourage other people to tell their stories if I'm not telling my story at all? <laughs> I'm, I'm just burying myself into work. And so work as in like Black Girls Who Pay, my other, um, like my other businesses, but also like my nine to fives or part times. Like I literally buried myself into commission work and like work work. So that's when I had to take a step back. I'm like, what am I actually trying to say? <laughs> yeah. And it, it does take time to get there. And sometimes it takes us being completely pulled away from what we love to really have that like revelation and that epiphany and that moment of like, oh my goodness, I need to get back to my practice. It's honestly something I'm working on too. And, you know, you and I spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. And I think when you start an organization or you found a company, it is, it's a lot of work. It's wonderful work. It's important work. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like finding that balance, especially when you are the founder of also making time for your own practice. And, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you that you are back in this place now where you you are excited about the work that you're creating. And um, and so I want to rewind just a little bit. You mentioned that you founded Black Girls Who Paint in 2017. And, you know, it is obviously a very big platform now and super impactful. I remember I came across your platform, I want to say two years ago, and I was just blown away by the community you created. And you know, there's such a huge Instagram presence and social media presence. And um, 
it's just, I think, really, really powerful and really important work that you're doing. But tell us a little bit about what inspired you to launch that initiative and how has Black Girls Who Paint kind of grown and developed over the past five years? Yes. So I created Black Girls Who Paint um, September 4th, 2017 as a direct response to not seeing myself. Um, the further I progress into my own um, art career within Maryland, the Washington, D.C. area. Um, it actually started with, well, the push actually came from rejection <laughs> and quite all, in quite all honesty. But um, I had applied for this woman empowerment exhibition and that was the day that I got the rejection email, but also saw the roster of all of the artists. It was about 30 artists that made it. And there was one Black woman. Um, and then everyone was either white, European, um, or Asian. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm not crazy anymore. Like, I literally grew up in PG County um, around a lot of diversity. And every time I would go to the museums, to art galleries, I never would see myself represented in the places that I wanted to permeate. And I was like, it's not because I'm not good enough, because I've always had that self-confidence within my art. Um, it was because they just did not want the art that I created or they didn't want me. And that's fine. That's when I was like, you know what, instead of trying to knock on people's doors or knock down doors. I'm going to create my own table and I'm going to invite the people that I want to see at my own table and then help get us into the rooms or get us into the spaces that we want to be in because um, we're not going to be invited. And that was literally, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to call it Black Girls of Pain. And it was Labor Day um, that month. And I was just going through a lot of things. And that's when I created it. And I thought I never thought it would actually get big. I really thought it would just be something that it was kind of like a personal project because I just wanted to show the diversity within Black women artists and the types of artwork that we create, the types of styles, the types of stories that we create, because we also aren't a monolith. And even though monolith has been used, overused <laughs> over the years, I wanted to create um, a space where um, the little Sasha, the little Sasha Lorraine could see herself because I do remember growing up that I always wanted to be an artist, but I never saw anyone, not even one person that looked like me when we would go on field trips to museums or anything like that. My parents, um, I'm also first generation American, so my parents did not have, you know, a lot of roots in the arts here as opposed to education. Um, and so I pretty much created it as a community that I would wanted that I wanted to see when I was younger. That makes sense. <laughs> the community of women working together with sustainable art practices that I wanted to see as a young girl that would have motivated me or at least encouraged me to continue my art as opposed to coming back to my art um, within adulthood. And so that's pretty much how it started. It grew like wildfire because, of course, I was not the only one that felt like this. And I met some really great friends that I literally talk to every day through Black Girls Who Paid. I've met them in person. 
I've also built great internet relationships with these or sisterships with um, with these women. Um, just so, because I just really, I really do believe like if I saw myself younger, if I saw myself at, at, at a younger age, I would have pursued art beyond a hobby. I would have pursued it more as a career because my parents didn't support the arts um, as as a career. Um, they supported, you know, business, <laughs> law school, doctor, those kind of things um, to gain like social mobility. And so it was, you know, it was kind of hard, you know, wanting to do something but not being supported or seeing yourself. So that's pretty much how it grew. Um, and then as it grew over the years, it turned into a nonprofit to support, you know, what I also needed as a young girl. I didn't have a lot of art materials when I was young. Um, so when I got older and I was able to you know, get a job and buy my own art material, I wanted to kind of give that gift to the next generation. So that's when we have, you know, our e-gift cards of art materials and also um, our scholarship for um is an academic award for visual arts students because I actually was a visual arts student for about 36 hours. <laughs> and then um, my parents, my dad in particular, um, called me and was like, you need to change your, your major or good luck in staying in your college. And so <laughs> I changed my major. But um, if I would have had, you know, maybe a scholarship, I think I would have, you know, had more had more support and maybe I would have stuck it out as studio art as opposed to economics, which I don't use that degree at all. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, that's how it kind of grew. It's, it's literally a reflection of what I needed as a young girl. And that started at 2017 and I wasn't even able to name inner child healing or inner child work until about 2019. And so that's the cool thing about inner child work is normally or a lot of times we've actually been doing the work. We just haven't had the vocabulary to, you know, say what we're doing. But yeah, it's literally, I, I, I want to be what I needed as a kid. It's so incredible. And like, I'm just so blown away. I don't even know where to start because it's amazing the work you're doing. And I think that's even an understatement because it's, it's much needed. And you know, you and I have spoken a little bit before. I think I shared with you that I was an art educator, you know, for many years at the elementary school level, middle school, high school. I kind of taught all grades. And I always found that there was such a lack of resources when it came to even te teaching or wanting to teach about artists of color. You know, I found that I would have to kind of create my own resources if there was an artist of color that I wanted to teach about because there just wasn't much online. And, you know, you as an educator in the arts, it, when you go to type in on Google, Van Gogh or Monet art lesson, there's literally hundreds, if not yes. thousands of lesson plans that pop up. But I remember wanting to teach about Alma Thomas, who is like one of my favorite and one, I think one of the most inspirational. Yes. <laughs> we love Alma Thomas. Absolutely. But, She's such an inspiration too, just as a side note, because I'm sure you know this, Sasha Lorraine, you sounds like you are a big fan as well. So you probably know, but um, I always think of her because she was an uh, art educator as well. I think she taught elementary art for many, many years. And she didn't even start seriously painting 
um, until I believe she was in her 70s. Yeah. And she had her first solo show when I think she was 81 at the Whitney Museum. Uh, so she's like such a shining light. But I remember wanting to teach my students about her. And just eventually I just threw in the towel and came up with my own lesson plan and and did my own research because there was just nothing online. Like I really couldn't find much. And what I did find wasn't, you know, of great quality. But there were other artists, like Black artists that I wanted to teach about and really wanted to embed into my curriculum. And it was just like pulling teeth, trying to find information about them, trying to get quality images of their artwork, trying to get um, really anything that I would need to create a really powerful lesson plan. And it's challenging, you know, especially I think it becomes even more challenging when you're trying to teach about artists of color who are living and working today. It was, it was a huge challenge. And so um, I think that what you have done and, and what you have created is so needed because there is an institutional change that needs to happen with art education. It got to the point where I didn't even teach about Monet or Van Gogh anymore, mm-hmm. not because they are not amazing artists. I just want to clarify. Um, but we love, because, yeah, but we love Monet, we love Van Gogh, <laughs> but it, it just got to the point where I was, I was burnt out on teaching about them. And I wanted to teach my students about contemporary artists. I wanted to really highlight artists of color in my curriculum, but I knew that to do that and to teach in that way and to really diversify my curriculum it would be significantly more work on my end to create those lessons, to do a ton, a ton of research, but I didn't want to take the easy way out. And eventually I did pause on teaching because I, you know, founded Visionary Art Collective and now I'm full-time with VAC. But I think for all of the teachers out there, all of the amazing art educators, you know, it's important to just remember that. And and I know that there are so many great art teachers out there who are working really, really hard to diversify their curriculum. Um, we actually have a free, edu- a free library of uh, educational resources that you can download on our website. And one of those resources actually is from Sasha Lorraine. It's, I, I want I want to make sure I'm getting this right, but I think it's 36 Black women artists. Yes. To, yeah. Just that, that that right. I was like, literally, <laughs> I, mean, I had to make this whole thing because I was like, nice. as the, as I was doing my own research and just like figuring out, I know we have been here. We just have not been able to tell our own stories, but yes, yes. just creating things because it's really up to us to start diversifying our education because they're not going to do it for us. So yeah, <laughs> it's like. Yeah. It's a big change. It's a big institutional change that needs to happen. But I think that you creating Black Girls Who Paint is such a powerful and important thing. Like we need more of that, you know, and we have such a long way to go. But your community spotlights so many amazing women, Black women who are creating art today and making their work and you know, you have just done such an incredible job, like shining a spotlight on this community. So I wanted to ask you, like, how has founding Black Girls Who Paint, how has that impacted you on a personal level, on a creative level? Like, I think there's a really big shift that happens within us when we create something like an organization, because it's such a huge monumental thing to go through. And so what has your experience been? How has it impacted you? 
Um, so it has really impacted me. Like, like I said, when I first created it, I didn't think it would be big at all. Like it was literally just a passion project. And then it moved from a passion project to a purpose-filled project where it's like, okay, now we have the audience. Now we have the momentum. What do we do with with this now? And um, I like to... I like to give a lot of the credit due to the pandemic, not saying that it was a great thing or anything like that. I think in terms of the story that I tell myself is that it it gave me permission to rest and it gave me permission to think about, you know, it was kind of like a reset and it's like, okay, what is really important in terms of legacy? Is it just, you know, to have the press, the PR, like what kind of things did I really need as a young girl? And a lot of it, and mind you, this was all before um, I created my studios, which is dedicated to my inner child work. I didn't even know like that was a thing. Like I literally was like, I know for a fact, I was about seven or eight and I decided that I could not be an artist because I was not only a woman, but I was, or a girl, I was a black girl. And I did not think that I could do anything without being a male, a white male in the, in the arts. And that's why I like, I kind of um, threw myself into engineering, which would have never worked out. <laughs> then I threw myself into economic, which would have never worked out either. Then public administration, which did not work out. Um, and it, it still kind of circled me back to the arts and what I want to actually do. And that leads into a lot of like my curatorial practice as well. but. In founding Black Girls Who Paint and working through it, it's kind of given me more accountability as in not just what like other people need or what, you know, the mass needs, like literally what did little Sasha Lorraine need when she literally did not even tell people her name was Sasha Lorraine. Like for, if you met me when I was younger, you did not know that I had a, a hyphen part of my name. So I, I used to be embarrassed about my name when I was younger too. And so it's like, what, how can we empower our next generation? Because we are going to be the great artists that we were always meant to be. That's a given because we've gone through, you know, our life, our trauma, even we're we're still young, we're still 21. <laughs> but like, what can we give to our next generation so they don't have these kinds of feelings at young ages? And so it just kind of gave me more purpose and direction in what I'm doing in my inner child work. And like the larger picture is like, okay, I need to tell more of little Sasha's story because she wanted to tell so many stories, but because she was told she could not, And because she thought she could not, she stopped trying. And I don't want that to happen for our next generation. So I would say creating Black Girls Who Paint just gave me a lot more purpose and accountability in in terms of my own inner child healing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's incredible when you create something that helps to heal you and your inner child and is also helping to heal others. Like, I honestly think that is one of the most powerful things, if not the most powerful thing you can do during your lifetime, because not only are you healing and growing, but you're helping others to do the same. And, you know, one thing you said that really stood out to me, which is how can children 
I mean, this goes for anyone, but I think especially as children, because that's when these limiting beliefs start to arise. Like, how can they know what's possible if they don't see themselves being represented? Like, you know, you're talking about how you were a young Black girl, and yet in your art classes, which truly was the same for me in my art classes. I think it's the same for probably 95% of artists who are work, you know, alive and working today. Like in the way we were taught art at that early age was Monet and Van Gogh and like white European men were prioritized. And so if we're not seeing ourselves represented as black women or also just like as women, I think in general too, like how, you know, the only female artist that I think I ever learned about in school was Georgia O'Keeffe <laughs> and maybe Frida Kahlo. Yeah, I was about to say Frida. Frida Kahlo. And we love Frida. Mean, <laughs> and Frida Kahlo is amazing, but I don't ever remember learning about these amazing Black women who were, you know, really icons in the art world. Like Alma Thomas's story, you know, just to bring her up again, but like her story is one that is so profoundly inspirational and like how did we not learn about her you know and I so I think the work you're doing it, it's so so important and you are helping young black girls to see themselves represented and I think that in doing that you know hopefully they will see that it's possible to become successful artists and to pave their own way in the art world and so just amazing work I mean really I I cannot tell you enough how inspired I am by what you have created. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess like the the general theme is is literally like if you see gaps that you yeah. have the power to fill them. You can yes. change. You can literally if you don't see yourself represented in the places that you want to be, you can you can create those stories. You can help tell those stories and you can help encourage other people to share their stories as well. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't have to accept, you know, the circumstances. We don't have to say, oh, this is the way art education has always been. So, you know, that's it. It's like, no, like we all have the power to make these changes. And, you know, some of us can create those changes in smaller ways. Some of us, it might be in larger ways, but like if we are all just really aware of these changes that need to be made and we put in some effort, like imagine if every single art teacher, you know, started to diversify their art curriculum. And I'm seeing it so much. I'm seeing that happen so much more. Like I would say in the last five years or so, I think the institutional change is starting to happen, but we do still have a really long way to go. And uh, you are a big part of that and your organization is a huge part of that. So amazing. Oh my goodness. Sasha Lorraine, I'm so happy we connected. And you know what's interesting? I think I was on a podcast. I'll just share this quickly. And I believe it was with Mona from Art Moms United. And I was telling her a little bit about my experience teaching art. And I haven't taught art in like almost three years now. But I was telling her about how when I was you know, a teacher, how hard it was to find resources to diversify my curriculum and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, right off the bat, she was like, you need to connect with Sasha Lorraine. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I wrote down your name and I was familiar with Black Girls Who Paint for sure. Uh, I had been following your platform, but um, I just feel like every time we speak, we are 
a little bit, I want to say kindred spirits. Like I yes. really feel like, <laughs> right. I really we feel like, remind ourselves like, Oh my gosh, we have a time limit. My God. <laughs> I know. I know. I always love chatting with you. I feel so inspired. I feel such a connection to what the work you are doing, but more than anything right now, I'm just so excited for this new chapter of your journey as an artist. I cannot wait to see what you continue to create. And it sounds like you're just in a really awesome place with like rediscovering yourself creatively. And that's also really inspirational. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. You're trying to make me cry. And it's too early for me to cry. (laughs) I know. I feel all the warm and fuzzies too. I'm so, so excited for our audience to hear more about your journey as an artist and all the incredible work you've done. And Sasha Lorraine, I will include all of your information in the show notes, your website and Instagram, as well as the website and Instagram for Black Girls Who Paint so that our amazing audience can follow along. But thank you for joining me today. And thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.